Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 169. I'm excited for today's guest. He's a coach on our staff at Cressy Sports Performance Florida. He's been here about a year and has been a real difference maker for us. Um, and I think he brings a, a unique perspective that you all appreciate as we work our way through here. It would be cool, I thought, to, to sit down and touch base with him now that he's been through a full pro off season. He's been through kind of the in-season period with all our different athletes. And he's gone through a summer program where, you know, obviously we have a lot of college and high school athletes that are in, and he's been involved on a lot of our major league rehab um, cases. So just a guy who's developed um, a lot of context across a lot of different populations before he started with us. And now that he's got a little bit of a frame of reference for how CSP rolls, I thought it'd be a cool kind of discussion just to work through. So hopefully you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by AG1, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it can be difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can often wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where AG1 can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. That's why I use it daily, as do several of my family members, and we recommend it to a lot of our top athletes. One scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet to support energy, focus, digestion, and recovery. And this can all happen for less than $3 per day and without taking multiple products. While most nutritional supplements come to market and stay stagnant, AG1 continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing over 50 improvements in the last decade alone. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best tasting nutrition habit on the planet. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it'll work for you, and it contains less than one gram of sugar per serving. They put 75 ingredients through the rigorous NSF certification test to come up with a safe formula that's trusted by some of the world's top athletes, including many of our own at Cressy Sports Performance. Right now, AG1 is giving our listeners a special offer of 10 free travel packets with their first purchase. Just head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy and claim this special offer. These travel packets are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health while you're traveling for games, training, or simply on the go. They can be great counterbalance to the less than ideal on the road food options that are out there for a lot of our traveling baseball players. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance of getting nutrient diversity, head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy to get 10 free travel packets with your first purchase. Again, that's drinkag1.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. You won't regret it. Today's guest serves as a pitching coach at Cressy Sports Performance Florida. He began his pitching career at Southwestern Community College in Iowa before transferring to the University of Central Missouri. While at UCM, he helped lead the team to the Division II World Series in 2016. After his junior season at UCM, he was signed by the Colorado Rockies and went on to pitch two years in their organization before pitching a year in the Frontier League. At the conclusion of his playing career, he began his coaching career as head pitching coach at Simpson College in Iowa. He then moved to Kansas City and was the pitching coordinator at Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Following his times at KCSC, he became the head pitching coach at his alma mater, UCM. In his two years at 
UCM. He helped lead them to national runner-up finish and had four pitchers go on to play professionally. He's made many stops along his coaching journey, which add up to playing or coaching at every level of baseball. Please welcome to the show, Ethan Westfall. Ethan, thank you very much for taking the time on your day off of all days. I uh, appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be on, so I appreciate it. No worries. I know you're not very good at sitting around and doing nothing, so we're, we're going to talk pitching on a day when you get a little break from pitching at the facility. Yeah, give me something to do. Right on. Well, hey, man, um, you know, this is – I always talk about a lot of our guests, it's, it's kind of long overdue, but I think it was good that I waited on this one because, you, you know, you joined our team you know, a little under a year ago, um, and Matt Hinckley had, had sang your praises for a long time from the time he worked with you back in, in, in Missouri and um, obviously kind of knew you as, a, as an athlete while you were still playing and everything too. So I got to see you kind of spread your wings at, at CSB Florida and be a real difference maker for a lot of our athletes. And I, you know, I think it's cool in the way that you complement each other so well. Um, and we'll, we'll certainly talk about that, but you know, this is, uh, this is something I'm excited to dig in on you. Cause I think we get caught up in the hustle and bustle at the facility, but now we actually get to, to nerd out on your background a little bit more and some of the things that I know you're really, really passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Getting thrown in. Um, yeah. Been here for about a year now, like you said, but I mean, yeah, when I came in, we were in the, the thick of it in the off season. So I think that's the best way to learn now. Everybody's, you know, what they're doing. So it was, uh, it was a good transition, um, yeah. but no, happy to be down here and doing what I love to do too. So best way to learn is drink through the fire hose for a few months and then see where it takes you. But, um, maybe that's, that's a good place to kick off. Like, let's talk about your path to coaching. Um, obviously you, you know, you play college ball, um, you know, we're, we're signed by the Rockies. How did that career as a player, you know, eventually take you in the direction of coaching? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, thankfully I had a pretty long playing career, but I mean, it started when I was younger that my dad coached me through high school and then even into junior college. So like I was pretty much grew up at the baseball field and kind of saw how he went about his business. And I think it was, you know, coaching for me was always something I was probably going to end up doing. Um, it just ended up being like, yeah, as soon as I was done playing, there was a coaching opportunity and it was, it wasn't like I want to be at this level or whatever the case was. It was just like, I just want to, you know, get into baseball and, you know, start helping younger athletes and knowing what I know and maybe help make a difference. So I got you. Was it a, was it a hard transition to make? Did you find like, I mean, obviously I know you had been exposed to some good like training principles, like during your, your pro career, um, you know, you were, you were the Rockies are one of the first organizations to, you know, do more force plate stuff. And um, so you got exposed to a collection of different, I guess, strength conditioning, sports science, pitching analytics uh, stuff. Was it, did that make it easier or was it one of those things where you still had an adjustment period? You know, it's, it's interesting because like in Iowa, so where I'm originally from, um, we play summer high school baseball. Um, so I actually was still playing in junior college um, and also coaching in the summer high school ball. So it was like I was doing a little bit of both, still playing and coaching at the same time. So I think the transition was pretty seamless. Like it was honestly like as soon as I was done playing, there was an opportunity. It was like mosey right in and take that path. So I think, no, it was not necessarily a big adjustment period. It was kind of just like keeping, keeping on, keeping on. So, yeah, I, I talked to a lot of players, you know, and I, I was even just talking to one of our guys who retired six or seven years ago and just joking about like, 
if we had had then what we have now in terms of tech, just awareness, you know, even just knowledge, I feel like I would have been able to help him so much more. Was there any element of that? Like, and, and you, you, you have a, a very, I want to say you have a great self-deprecating approach to humor where you talk about like, you know, I was, I was not blowing up radar guns or, or anything like that. I wasn't the biggest guy in the org. Um, when you look back, do you think that a lot of the things that you have at your fingertips would have, would have made you a big leaguer? Would it have prolonged your time in, in professional baseball? What do you think? You know, I don't know. Maybe prolonging the career a little bit longer, but um, I think, I don't know. I, I'd like to say that I got out of my body probably what I, I could have. Um, and, you know, thankfully I had a lot of really good coaches that helped me along the way. Um, and kind of what you said, like, got exposed to some of that, that tech stuff, you know, with the Rockies and force plate stuff. Um, and then like, I hadn't really thrown on like rap soto or it used any like slow motion camera or track man. That wasn't really the thing. So, you know, maybe knowing some of that stuff now, maybe I could have found a tick or two, who knows? Um, but you know, all in all, like, I'm just glad I get to do it now and probably help somebody else. So. Yeah. Hindsight is sometimes 2020, but not always. It's, there's a lot of what ifs. Um, but what I do think is really cool about your resume is, you know, you went from obviously playing, but then you went to college, then the private sector, then back to college. And now you're in the private sector again in your journey. And, you know, along the way you deal with players from all different points on the pitching lifespan, right? There are days when you're, you know, you're dealing with 11 year olds at the facility. And then, you know, an hour later, you might be playing catch with the big leaguer and, you know, breaking down a trackman report or looking at edutronic video or something like that. So I'm curious, you know, if, if we talk about pitching development in the private sector versus what you would get in a college program or a professional organization as a coach, you know, how do you think it, it, I guess, matches up to different skill sets? You know, what, what, what was easy for you? What was challenging for you? How are they different? Uh, I mean, they're definitely different. And I think the biggest thing from like, whether it's an organization or college or whatever to private, it's, it's when you're going to be with that athlete. So I think, and just like what you said, like if I'm with a 12 year old um, and then, you know, the next hour, a big leaguer, I think there's, there's hurdles there, but it's also, you're, you're building that relationship. And I think in the private side, it's really cool because the ultimate goal is to have that 12 year old. And then all of a sudden he becomes a big leaguer. So I think you're getting to see that lifespan um, kind of come to fruition. Um, so really when you're developing that player, um, you're always like finding little ways to get them a little bit better, but knowing the end goal, you know, hopefully it is pro ball for that kid. Um, you know, I think you can get, you know, I don't want to say like get too in depth right away, but it's like, there's, there's stepping stones, you know, for certain athletes. Um, but then also when you're jumping into like college or pro, like, you have a more mature athlete, like maybe they have a better understanding of like feel versus real. Um, they, they can communicate, you know, what they're, what they're feeling and kind of how they're going about a certain thing. So I think the language um, that you use in the private sector versus, um, you know, pro ball or college definitely differs in that way. Um, so I think at the, the end where they're similar is it's all about the relationship. I think yeah. if you can, build a solid relationship, um, you know, that's based on like trust and, you know, letting them realize that like, you know, he's here the entire step of the way when I need it, you know, and somebody to bounce ideas off of whatever it is. Um, but having the common goals, I think on every level, um, whether it's private or 
in an organizational college. So, yeah, I think in the off season too, just, I mean, private sector, you know, you, you implied that it's, it's very developmental driven. Yeah. It's, it's the time where you, you break down, you know, all the tech, you, you know, develop a new pitch, you throw bullpens, you look at the delivery, all these different things. And what it kind of excludes is, is actually like the game preparation, right? It's scouting, it's pitch calling. It's a lot of those things that allow you to leverage all the things that you've developed, whether it's the way your body moves or, you know, what the pitch profiles are. Do you feel like, um, that's the hardest thing for people who leave the private sector? Cause we've seen a, a lot more private sector folks myself included who have gone to pro ball, you know, obviously in a different realm, but, um, we're seeing that more and more. And, and I've always heard that the game, it just speeds up so fast when you hear about like high school coaches going to college, college going to pro is that it's played at such faster speeds. Was that an adjustment that, that you had to deal with? Um, have you seen it in, in your peers that have they've done some of the same stuff? Yeah. And I think that's a good way to put it. Like, especially on the private side when we're more often than not, unless somebody's like rehabbing or whatever the case is, it is the off season. So that's, you yeah. can really peel some layers back um, and kind of get into the nitty gritty of making bigger adjustments because that's what ultimately the off season is for. Um, because when you go into like say college and all of a sudden you're there with your athletes, you're like, how do I get them ready now? Like they need to be ready to go right now. And I can't make certain adjustments because that may totally overhaul a delivery or whatever and make them less consistent. So I think you're kind of towing that line. Um, and I think that's definitely an adjustment that I kind of had to, to step back and do some reflection on of like, mm -hmm. like I can't really attack this athlete um, the same as I would in the facility in the off season as I would even in the fall season, because I know this, this player is trying to win a job um, and I want them to be able to do that. Um, because ultimately that player has tools already that got him to that position in the first place. Um, so I think that's a, it's definitely a hurdle. Um, and I feel like in the college pro side coaching and development, it's almost like you're always against the clock. It's yeah. like, hey, there's something right around the corner that you have to be ready for. Um, we're in the, on the private side in the off season. It's, you're like, we have some time to play with here. There's, mm -hmm. you know, don't get me wrong. Every day is going to stack up. Um, but it doesn't feel as pressured to like, it's got to be right now. Um, yeah. I definitely think the adjustment um, ends up being, you know, you can't always have the same approach in development mm -hmm. just because, you know, you're at different points in time of the year based on what their workload was and all of those things go into it too. So it can yeah. be tricky. I think they also let their guard down more in the private sector. You know, I mean, I've talked with sports psychologists, like in the mental skills departments for teams who have then gone and worked in the private sector. It's like a lot of guys won't talk to me if I'm on staff with the team, but then they'll talk to me when I go to the Absolutely. private sector. And, you know, I think we often joke, you do a lot of those like year end meetings where, you know, you guys are, are sitting in the room and they're debriefing the season and, you know, they're airing their frustrations. They're talking about what, well, and, and some of it's stuff that they, they wouldn't necessarily say to a team. Um, you know, so I think you do probably get a lot more information. Has, has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. I mean, and we do, and like, you know, we do a pretty, extensive like meeting process and like trying to like dive into it like that. And we try to get those answers mm -hmm. from them because I think it is in an environment that, you know, it's more like this setting. It's more one-on-one. -on -one. It's like, I'm not going to go tell somebody else, whatever you're saying right now. It's right. like, I need to find a way to help you. Um, so I think they do let their guard down the private side, which is good. Um, I think every athlete kind of needs that. Mm -hmm. Um, and with all the different facilities that there are, like 
there's a lot of that happening, which is good. Um, but exactly that, like I would, I would get a different conversation from a player sitting in my coaching chair, yeah. um, in college than I would when I'm sitting there taking notes, trying to figure out, you know, like how this year go. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I was asking that player during the season, like, how do we feel right now? You know, there's, there's definitely going to be a different answer. It, it, it makes development, you know, I've, I've experienced both developments a lot easier on the private side. You know, you, you have yeah. unlimited time, you have, you know, you, you probably have more limited resources, um, you know, compared to what you might get in those other settings, just in terms of, you know, tech or, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, maybe even like staffing, but you can, you can definitely, uh, you can leverage the the ability to make use of information a lot more if you have a, you know, a collection of people that really all rose in the same direction. Um, you, yeah. you, you talked a little bit earlier, um, maybe briefly in your, in your response, you talked about players returning in from injuries and, you know, certainly like you know, when you go on Instagram, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys throwing 95 and being healthy and lifting heavy stuff and running fast and jumping high and doing all that cool stuff that we know is really, really important. And, but there's a whole other end of the spectrum where you're, you're working with guys that are banged up that are coming back from a Tommy John or thoracic outlet surgery or, or any of those things. I'm curious, you know, like we, we certainly get a lot of high profile rehabs at, at CSB Florida over the years. And you had a chance to be involved with a lot of those guys. Are, are there key like competencies that you've walked away from uh, those experiences? Like thinking like, Hey, this is something I didn't know coming in that I, that I do now. Yeah, I think, I mean, the information that we have, I mean, just at the facility, like it's, we have so many people around us that are extremely good at their jobs and like you can weigh, you know, leverage them to, you know, help you understand. And I think that's a big thing that I've learned in my short time here is just like, I may not have all the answers. Um, I'm getting a lot of information, um, but I also have somebody that's in, you know, the door right next to me to holler at, to be like, hey, come in and sit on this. Uh, Give me your thoughts. Um, because it's really like a holistic experience for that player. Um, but it's a common thing, right? It's whether it's Tommy John or whatnot, because I don't know how many times we've sat down um, with a player that's gotten, I guess, a standard issue, throw, return to throw protocol. And he's like, he's questioning it. Um, and he really wants your advice. And I think you can give them all the advice in the world, but you want to have multiple people weigh in so they really understand that, hey, we have we have this on track for you um, to like give you all the information that you need. Um, And it's going to be different based on each player. Um, I think that's a big thing that, you know, coming into here that, you know, been put into those situations and just kind of learning on the fly to, you know, ask questions to somebody around the facility and, you know, kind of get to know, you know, all the ins and outs um, to ultimately kind of grow me as well. So Right on. What about the the mental side of the game? I, I know that's always been a like a really high priority for you, and not, not just in pitching. Like I think a lot of the lessons that I've you know maybe picked up from our conversations, um, you know, have, have been impactful for me in a, in a variety of ways. Everything from like you know you hear about a lot of pitchers journaling. You don't hear about it nearly as much in hitters, but you know what drew you to that so much? And like you know, and maybe more importantly, you know, for those listening, where does it start for for a young player? Like, is there a roadmap? of how to build mental toughness, resilience across a, a baseball lifespan? Yeah. I, th- I mean, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about the mental side. I think it's, it kind of started when, when I was younger and just kind of the upbringing. Um, but I would, like I said earlier, I, I was fortunate to have a lot of really good coaches um, growing up that they hammered on it too. Um, and it wasn't maybe like mindfulness meditation stuff and yeah. stuff like that that we hear nowadays too, but it was more just about, 
hey, controlling what you can control, having a routine. Why do you have your routine? Um, to kind of like, there's a lot of variables happening. Um, but if you can always kind of hit the reset button, um, you're going to be in a better state of mind. I mean, you're going to be able to tap into, you know, it's, there's a saying as far as like, don't rise to the occasion, sink to the level of your training. Um, and if you trust what you've done in the work, um, then, you know, any situation you're put in, it's just like, well, it's just, I practice this all the time. I'm just going to do my routine and I'm going to go right back up to what, whatever my task is at hand, because that's what I can control. So I think, I mean, you could talk about the mental game for hours and hours, right? And I think there's a lot of things that go into it. And, and I think it starts at the very beginning for, for the youth. I mean, as they kind of transition into like, you know, they're playing multiple sports um, and it goes into sports, just the mental side, but it also transitions into life. Um, it's just being able to handle adversity um, and understanding that not everything is going to go your way because, you know, baseball itself is a game of failure. We know that. Um, and that's going to happen. It's just don't think of the failure as failure. Think of it as an opportunity to do it again and find a way to do it better. Mm -hmm. um, so I think having specific routines, that starts right away. Like if you can, and everybody's routines can look different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're talking about a pitcher, it's, you know, if they're swiping the rubber with their foot or maybe they take their hat off and they have something underneath their bill that they read. Um, it's just like a reset mode um, to kind of get them back to the present moment. Um, I think there's there's a lot of value in that as they kind of climb up the ladder because they're those routines and that mental side um, will evolve just like the, they will, you know, physically. So it's a deep, a really deep subject, um, but something I've definitely been passionate about. And it's kind of continued, especially on the college side when I was coaching there, it was it's how to kind of grow young men too and kind of prep them for what, you know, what to expect later in life and give them, give them tools that they can use, not just in baseball for the, the next day, but mm -hmm. you know, for the years ahead of them. So I always look at uh, commonalities across our podcast guests. And while you're describing that, it, it reminded me of um, Butch Thompson um, who's the head coach at Auburn really had a, mm -hmm. he did a, a really deep dive on just fear. Um, like that was a, yeah. a, a topic that he explored in a lot of depth. Um, we talked about it on a previous podcast. So our listeners can definitely check that out. One um, thing that I, I just thought about is like, you know, you talked about, you know, preparing athletes for failure. And, you know, it's interesting hearing that from a pitching coach because, you know, I think we're always educating hitters on, you know, you're going to fail. You know, if you fail 60% of the time, you're still one of the best players of all time. Right. Um, yeah. And so hitters are, are, you know, maybe more conditioned to accept it. Um, with pitchers, you know, they're often taught like hitters aren't that good. Just throw the ball down the middle and, you know, make them beat you and all that stuff. Um, but along those things, like in our world, like strength conditioning is very much about like, sometimes it's setting up scenarios where athletes can fail with no consequences so that, that motor mm -hmm. learning takes place, you know, in the hitting realm, we, you know, we heard the giant slogan a couple of years ago is like practice dirty, play clean, a lot of random practice. Like don't be afraid to get beaten in the cage at 5 PM so that you can, you know, be nasty when, when the lights come on at seven, I'm curious, is there a place for that in pitching, right? Is, is there a way where, you know, you intentionally squeeze pitchers on the strike zone or, you know, different ways that you just make training harder, um, 
not just because it, you know, it, 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 you know, kind of conditions them to have to like wipe the slate clean and move on, but also because like that, that element of randomness probably improves, you know, skill specific outcomes longer term. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's kind of diving in. Like you, you know, there's going to be what say the umpire, right? His zone is going to change. And I, I'm guilty of it. I've, I've gone ahead and stood behind the the pitcher and called balls and strikes for like live AB scenarios. And I've intentionally been squeezing them. Like, it's just, it's part of, I think if you can give them some failure where all of a sudden they're like, I know I did my job there, but it didn't turn out my way. Like, how did they respond? Like, it's, I think that, and then you kind of get to see like, what is their routine when something like that happens? Are they going to be built for it? Um, and I think we all, as coaches, we kind of, it's almost like you can see some guys are like, he just has it, you know, like, um, like it's been conditioned. Um, and then you, I'm sure you can see some players that, you know, you're like, nope, he needs more of that. You know, he needs, he needs to have some failure put in his way and see if he can overcome some of that stuff. Um, but I think, you know, there's definitely a place in it and I can definitely agree on, you know, the pitchers, the yeah, hitters aren't that good. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, like, Sure, you might mistakenly throw a pitch that doesn't get hit, but also you can execute a pitch that gets hit over the fence. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's always going to be those times where you know something like that happens or a blue pit, and you know our you know hopefully that player is kind of conditioned to you know brush it off and be like, hey, that's baseball. Um, that is what it is. I'm not going to change anything I'm doing. Um, so I think setting up um, scenarios where that happens. Um, I did a lot of it in like live AVs where, you know, putting a runner on base to try to like, all right, you put him on third, find a way to not get, let him score. And then he scores back. Well, somebody's going to score on you eventually. How are you going to respond for the next hitter? You know, is it a walk all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. or is it I'm dialed back in and I don't skip a beat. I'm back, you know, first pitch strike. I'm on top of this guy here. So it goes, it goes both ways for sure. But I think it's more commonly been on the hitter side, at least when it goes into yeah. like journaling and doing those types of things. So um, maybe backtrack from the mental side, but indirectly related. Um, are there different coaching strategies that you feel like you employ on, on teenagers versus college arms versus pro arms? Like I know one of the first things I'll, I'll talk about, like if a new intern comes to our facility, like they always want to be like captain correction and just overcoach everything. And it's like, Hey, this is a professional athlete. You know, he's 29 years old. He's got six off seasons under his belt at CSB and trained with a, you know, a great college strength coach for a couple of years before that. Like he's got 10 years in a weight room. Like you probably don't need to overwhelm him with cues. Maybe you should just demonstrate the exercise and see how it looks once he does it. And chances are it's maybe one subtle coaching cue that gets it done instead of describing it, demonstrating it, describing all the common mistakes uh, and whereas, you know, you get a brand new athlete, it might be totally different where you're feeling out their learning style and all that. So, you know, when you look at big picture, what are the, the big things that are, that are different for your, your high school, your college and your, your professional athletes that you're coaching? Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit it there a little bit too, is every athlete's going to be a little different. Um, I think it's, it's good to kind of see how they operate and try to try to figure out as much as you can, their learning style, um, how they kind of respond to, you know, directions or whatever the case is, especially in a younger athlete. Um, because when it comes to the younger one in the facility, it's how do I make sure that he's enjoying his time? Because that's ultimately when you're going to get the best out of them. Like if they're having a good time, 
they're laughing, they're kind of carefree. Um, maybe they're throwing a bullpen and you're just focusing on certain things like, hey, how many strikes can we throw, you know, in a 15 pitch pen, like giving them goals. Um, and I think it's trying to find a way to like compete a little bit, but have fun um, at the same time, because that's what's going to keep keep them coming back, but also keep them getting better. I think that if they can they can consistently see some improvement. Um, that's the ultimate goal with the younger athlete. I mean, when you transition into like the high school and college player, I think that feel versus real starts to start to grow a little bit. They can kind of understand more of, you know, the goals and such, like maybe it's in the weight room or maybe it's like certain drills that we're trying to perform. Um, but giving them like a specific goal as far as like, we're giving you this drill on a file wall per se. Um, because you do this and we're trying to get you to do more of this, um, and hopefully give them good directions. Um, but then ultimately that athlete, you, you don't need to queue up a whole lot. I think exactly like with the pro guy, like you probably don't need to queue much at all. Um, more, more or less is ask questions with that guy. But I think, um, with that college player, it's having them give you feedback of what they're feeling goes a long way because then they start to understand a little bit more and you can kind of, you can kind of gauge of where to go next with them. Um, I think on the pro side, exactly what you're saying earlier that, you know, training, training ages and, you know, maybe he's a big leaguer or whatever the case is. I think you're there as like a, like how, what are we working on? Um, let's hammer that one specific goal because ultimately when you get that athlete, you're probably only trying to make super small changes um, when he's at that point in his career. So I think you're, you're kind of another set of eyes that yeah. he can like lean into. Uh, I think yeah. that's, that's where the big thing goes. And, I, and I've seen it before, like over queuing. I've done it before. It's just, there's a fine line of let him, let him feel some stuff out for a while. And when he's ready, he'll say something or after a few, and it's like, all right, you've done this multiple times in a row. I need to jump in and try to help you out here. So I think there's, it's always a balancing act. Yeah. Um, I think on the, like that. And, and on the younger guys, a lot of times you're trying to engineer something for the first time on the big league side, you know, even, you know, some of the more advanced minor league guys, you're, you're trying to rediscover what they were when they were at their best. Like they say, Hey, I mean, on July 21st, I was nasty in this outing. This was the best pitch of my life. And you go back and you try to reverse engineer all right, what were you feeling? What were you doing? What were the metrics on the pitch? You know, did you do something different in your pregame? You know, what, what was the mindset there? Were, yeah. you, were you pitching exclusively from the stretch? Were you going from the windup? Um, I think those are all the, the questions that you ask. Whereas earlier in their career, you're like, you're, you're trying to figure out what, what, what's their normal successful approach. Um, and that, that's, that to me is harder, to be honest, sometimes because you're just working with less information. We have all the data now and everything like that, whether it's true media or synergy or what, whatever video stuff is. So there is a lot of deep dives into what day were you at your best? Um, let's show you, let's even show you the clips of you being really great because then it kind of builds some confidence. Uh, but then also like, I see that you were, you're standing a little taller in your delivery, like little things like that, I think go a long way. Um, so they kind of always have a directed approach of like, all right, that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to hammer that home today um, and see how it goes. So. Right on. We interrupt this podcast with a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by AG1. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement that features 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. 
I use this product daily myself and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer of 10 free travel packets with your first purchase. AG1 gives you peace of mind that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's drinkag1.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you'll get that special offer. You've been at CSP for coming up on a year, and, and I'm curious, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned in that time? Like, are there thought processes that have changed or you know, things that you were doing that maybe you feel like you're, you're doing better, things you've added or subtracted that, that jump off the, the page for you? Um, I think probably the biggest one, uh, and we kind of touched on it earlier, um, just like the overall like camaraderie and synergy of like what the facility is, is just like how to lean on somebody that, you know, is whatever in the PT world or manual therapy um, and kind of how we put all the pieces together. I think that's, that's been something that, you know, I didn't necessarily have in college or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's been a, like a learning curve. And I think to, to always ask questions, um, and kind of get feedback and pick other people's brains. I think we do a really good job of that. And that's, that's something that's been at the forefront of my head, I think, um, since I've, I've gotten here, but then also like in how we, I kind of approach like throwing programs, like I, I pr- could probably tell you that I'm, I've never really written the perfect throwing program. It's always getting adjusted and everything like that, but being okay with making adjustments on the fly. Um, but I think we have a pretty simplistic approach and we don't try to like overhaul drills because or or reinvent the wheel, so to say. I think there's a lot of like, you know, these things have worked. Um, they will continue to work and it's just like giving those right, those drills or a specific throwing protocol to the the right person, I think goes a long way. So things like that have changed, changed in my head um, a little bit, um, but also always striving to, to make that perfect throwing program, I guess. Um, Those, those things have kind of been big, at least within my year here. What, what building on that, what gets you excited right now? Like do do you stare off into blackness in the middle of the night thinking about things that are cool that, you know, we actually were joking on, on like, as we were kind of brainstorming ideas for what we wanted to talk about in this podcast, I was like, Hey man, just, you know, just turn the music off on your car ride home and think. And you were like, I do that all the time. Anyway, I like silence. Um, so what <laughs> yeah. are the things that you think about while you're driving in silence at the end of the day? Um, honestly, I usually do it on my way to work. Right. Um, usually it's a podcast or music on the way home, but, um, I think it's, it's more like thoughts on the day or who's going to be in throwing a bullpen or whatever the case is and certain things that we've been doing. Those, those are the kind of things like I want to be mentally ready and prepared for a bunch of scenarios. Um, but also like, what, like, how are we going to do this a little bit better today? How are we going to grow? Um, how am I going to grow personally? And also like, how are we going to help the athlete? Um, I think a lot of it, like the thing that we can really deep dive into is Thea, our motion capture. Um, that's kind of a big one that there's a lot of numbers getting thrown at you on a page. Um, and you know you see the skeleton overlay and everything like that and i think there's that's probably what might keep me up is like trying to understand certain certain numbers a little bit more and how they pertain to each individual um for what we're getting on that motion capture report um but then also how to like cue that up the correct way or kind of explain that to that athlete i think those are things that 
kind of really may keep me up at night is like, how, how am I going to do that better? Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of grow and learn as we go. So that data set's exciting because it's, uh, it's a collection of really good arms that are successful for a wide variety of reasons. You know, it, it, I think as we've scrutinized it and seen more and more guys throw on it, if, if there's one thing I've taken away from it, it's that we, we, we always need to embrace weird, weird plays. Um, the outliers are the ones that you learn so much more to from than the guys who, you know, kind of like just hang out right at the mean. Would you, would you agree on that? Absolutely. No doubt about it. That day, that data set that we have is incredible. Um, and often that's what I'm looking at is the weird ones. It's like, why is this so good? You know, like what's, what's jumping off at the page? Um, where does he actually move slow or fast? Yeah. What's his, you know, certain velocities or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. But I think those are the most interesting ones, but also mm-hmm. it's cool because those, those ones are ultimately pretty successful too. So yeah. I know for me, like just talking with you guys about some of the wrist and hand stuff has been really excited and, um, because that's stuff that hasn't necessarily gotten the love it probably deserves in, in previous kind of biomechanical looks at, at, you know, even at the highest levels. When you look at the data sets, what what are the are there a couple of key points that that really you know surprise you? Like I know a lot of guys don't need more hip shoulder separation; they actually get worse when right. they chase more. Like, what have been some of the aha moments? And we we did a great um, interview with Scott Selby um, from Thea, so folks can listen to that in the archives here. But what are some of your key takeaways from your um, your Thea experience? I think it's just like like kind of when we you know, we put everybody through like a pretty strenuous, not strenuous, but like in-depth physical evaluation. So when we're looking at that data, like there's only certain people that, you know, one athlete may actually compare to. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we're like digging through the data to like try to find like whether it's mechanical delivery interventions or anything like that, there, we're not just like looking at the entirety thing. We're probably looking at like two guys that do it at a really high level. Um, and see, you know, which, which specific numbers are definitely different than what we're seeing, um, from the individual that we're trying to get better right now. Um, and I think, you know, exactly like you said, like hip shoulders, like it's a, it's a big word in baseball, but it's also like, it can, it can definitely lock somebody up if you have too much and you're like, you can't get out of that position, man. Um, you're, you're trying to tap into way too much and it's actually, you know, you're going to throw slower because of it. So I think there's there's definitely a lot that goes into that stuff. Um, and even on the wrist and hand movement and all that stuff, like we really use more of that to like determine which, which pitch types um, are going to be the easiest ones for this pitcher to, you know, command and really control over, you know, a long period of time that it's not going to ask a, a lot of his wrist to make big adjustments, um, but it's going to be more comfortable for him. So I think there's, there's a lot of those numbers that you can go in, but I think each number is really just relative to the individual. Um, Cause we're only really concentrated on a few of them um, when it goes to per player. So, yeah, I think, I think the, um, the cool thing that you guys have, have also done with that data set is it's, it's been kind of like an, a, I guess an archetype driven model, meaning, all right, 16 year old kid with a decent training foundation comes in. He's only got 15 degrees of hip internal rotation. He's a, he's a wide infrasternal angle. You know, he does, he has this pitch mix, you know, he's limited in shoulder flexion by this many degrees. And we can kind of plug all that into a data set and kind of effectively look at our pro data set and say, Hey, you throw like this pro pitcher 
Whereas in the past, everybody would come in and be like, oh, I want to throw like Jacob DeGrom or I want to throw like Araldis Chapman. And it's like, those guys are freaks. You don't throw like them. You don't have the physical capabilities to throw them. Let's find something more realistic as a comp. And then you can actually get somebody excited about going and watching someone that they may have never heard of um, that's actually doing it at the highest level. And um, I think that's really powerful is, is, is finding a model that, that approximates the way that you move. Absolutely. No, I think that's ultimately kind of been like the biggest, I guess, thing since I've gotten here that we've kind of done with the motion capture stuff. It's taking all the things that we do from an evaluation standpoint and using that tool and being like, yeah, you throw your body is closely resembled to this, this pro guy say, and you're doing these two things completely different than him. If we can try to use these couple things, and get you to do more of that. Let's see where this takes us. Um, and it's really just kind of a, you know, what's your body going to allow you to do? Because exactly like I can't throw like Jacob DeGrom. Um, so there's probably not a whole lot of people that can um, other than just Jacob DeGrom. Um, so I think you kind of have to kind of do a little bit more digging in terms of, you know, what, what players should they probably be watching video on um, when they go home and look it up on YouTube, you know, like give them somebody that's, actually a pretty good comp to them um, Absolutely. that they might be able to take after. So since we're, we're wrapping up on giving players homework, I think that's the first place to start uh, with our lightning round. What's one book that every player should read? Yeah, I'd say relentless by Tim Grover, just because it, it dives into like the mental side uh, of sports um, and really just like paints a picture of it takes what it takes. Um, I think that's, it's a good book for, athletes and coaches really to, to kind of read too, just because of all the information that it kind of instills and it, just, it puts you in kind of a, like a, a state of mind while reading it, which I really enjoyed. Absolutely. Uh, good stuff. And he's actually got a couple of other ones too that I've read that are, that are really solid. Um, yeah. What's one book that you think every coach should read? Um, I'd say coaching the mental game by Harvey Dorfman. Yeah. Um, kind of a heavy hitter for me and, really kind of trying to understand like how different different athletes are going to understand different things, different ways. Um, and that's not one size fits all when it comes to the mental side. Sweet. That's a popular, popular response. What about if you could go back in time and give young Ethan some advice, say 15 years ago, what would it be? <laughs> I'd probably say eat more. <laughs> um, but <laughs> knowing what I know now, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. I think just kind of enjoy the ride. Um, I was always told like growing up, like, you know, if, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Um, and I, I would probably still tell myself that to this day, um, especially when trying to be an athlete. So that's good feedback. And in, in that, maybe the same way, we have a lot of kids and parents who, who will often listen to this podcast together on the rides to games or practices. If you could give a bit of advice to, you know, the, the kids, what would it be? And then, you know, maybe some advice for the parents as well. Yeah. For the kid. I mean, enjoy the ride as well. Like, I think a lot of what I remember, like, the most about is just, like, traveling to games with friends, that type of thing. Like, those those things you're going to remember for a long time. So, I think try to enjoy that that process as much as you can. And, you know, don't take that stuff for granted because at the end of the day, like, those are, those are memories. Those are long-lasting ones. Um, so, enjoy the process there. Um, and then probably for the parents, you know, just let the kids play. Like um let them fail let them succeed like like you know 
let them, you know, enjoy their time. Um, but also, yeah, take those, take them to those games and, you know, watch and just kind of cheer them on. Don't, I think that's a big thing nowadays is we have some parents that, you know, are really attached to the kids. And it's like, let them, let them do their thing. So I think that's where I go with that one. Just set the guardrails and give them a chance to spread their wings a little bit. For sure. I like it. Well, man, this is awesome. Uh, folks can find you on Instagram. It's eWestfall2. Although you're not super active there, you are uh, a contributor on the CSP Florida pitching account, which is CSPFL underscore pitching. There's, there's a lot of good contact that up there regularly. Uh, man, you've been a, a great addition to our staff. Um, I know you've, uh, you've endeared yourself to a, a lot of your, not, not just the athletes, but also your coworkers. So I'm glad we finally had a chance to, to take this deep dive and I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. No, it was fun. I'm glad we did it and I appreciate it.